0: I may start out this morning by offending somebody. It is my apology if this offends you, but I'm a history buff, and one of my favorite times in history is studying about World War II. Now that might offend people because there might be some people here who were around then and don't think of that as history. (laughs) But truly, it it is my firm belief the World War II is one of the times in history where God was actively moving in the world, where the battle for good and evil was absolutely crystal clear around the world. I mean, you think of the things that happened during that time that pretty much if you were alive between 1939 and 1945, you were affected by this. Almost nobody in the world got away, scot free, being ignored by what was going on. Between 60 and 80 million people died. That's 3 to 5% of the world's population in those years. Wow. You think about the uh, Holocaust alone, where the, the Nazis were killing people because they did not fit in with Uh, whatever their uh, view of the world uh, should be, that they killed between 13 and 20 million people just themselves in the concentration camps. I mean, can you wrap your mind around that? I can't. I can't even picture what 20 million people would look like. And to have 13 to 20 million dead just because they're the wrong religion or the wrong belief system or the wrong race or whatever wrong thing they were, that many people killed. And I wonder, how could people do this? I mean, the Nazis, it's easy to say Nazis and have just sort of this, this view that it's just this faceless group of people that did this, but if you think about it, every one of those 13 to 20 million people were real. They were like you and I. They had dreams. They had ideas. They had goals. They they had children and parents and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And this kind of evil was visited upon them. But then you look at the Nazis and every one of them was a normal human being like you and I. They had brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and daughters and sons and all of the same things. And they had goals and dreams and ideas and loves just like the people that were being murdered. I, I just can't even wrap my mind around that. And then after the war, they had what was called the Nuremberg Trials where they tried the worst of the worst of the Nazis for war crimes. Now you've got 13 to 20 million people that were murdered in these concentration camps. How many people do you think that they convicted and sent to jail or executed for that? Thousands probably, right? Tens of thousands to have been involved in that many people, right? Eleven. Eleven people were executed for their war crimes. Eleven people were executed and only a few hundred actually spent any jail time for that evil having been done. How do you wrap your mind around that? There's a book that I uh, read... It's a book called The Ordinary German in the Holocaust. And if you're a history buff, this is a great book. If you're anybody else, it's very dry and boring because it's all about numbers and documents. And the author, um, Daniel Goldhagen, basically builds this case in this book that says that almost every German at the time was aware of the concentration camps. Almost every German was involved in some way, shape, or form because to provide for all of these camps that were killing people required food. It required office supplies. It required furniture. It required trucks and trains and information. It required every one of those guards to go home to dinner every night. It required their families it required there to be so many people involved that the common explanation that it was just a few specific Nazis falls flat. It's still a shame in Germany today, and it's not something that if you are German, that you generally talk about. In fact, there's laws against what you can say about it and uh, how much of that history can be uh, brought up, because it's so shameful. It's a shared sin of a nation, a national shame. Now, you may ask, why am I talking about Nazis this morning? What's that got to do with the Bible and what we're uh, discussing in Rome Romans? Well, we're talking about shared sin today, an inherited sin. Because if you're German and you were born sometime after World War II, it still affects you. It's still a national shame that this occurred and so what we're talking about today is original sin. We're in the book of Romans right now, and we call Romans getting the gospel. Not getting it as in receiving it, but getting it as getting it, understanding what the gospel is. And part of understanding the gospel is the key point that we need the gospel. And we can't recognize our need for the gospel until we recognize what sin is and the fact that we all have it. Now sin is one of those things that's laughed about and joked about in the world, but it really is important to understand the gospel, to get what sin is and how it affects us. So we're going to read today in Romans chapter five, verse 12 through 21. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, Paul's writing can be very difficult to understand sometimes. He has a tendency as a pastor to digress to do asides, to break up a sentence and go, oh yeah, over here, this, 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 and this, and then come back to the sentence. So I will tell you, if you go home and read this, read it two, three, four times to really get it. Because Paul can be difficult. And it's funny, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, even makes mention of that uh, in one of his books, saying, and we know Apostle Paul's a little bit hard to understand, but it's worth it. Work through it. So we're going to start here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. If you need a Bible, they're there in the pews for you. Or you can join the 2000s and use your Bible on your phone like I do. Um, that's nice because then it, you can uh, go back to it again and again and again. It's always on the same page, my phone. So Romans 5, starting at chapter 12 there. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And then there's a hyphen, take a breath. That's one of the places that Paul takes an aside. So we're going to stop there a second and talk about sin entered the world through one man. Who do you think that is? You can yell it out. Adam. Adam. Very, very good. You guys paid attention. That's good stuff. So yeah, sin entered the world through one guy, Adam. You know, Adam, Eve, back in the beginning, snake, garden, Naked and all that. Finding an apple wasn't really an apple. We don't even know what it was. It was just a fruit. But, you know, apple looked good, took a bite. Remember all that? Did you pay attention? Sunday school? Okay. So that's when sin came into the world. Adam and Eve were in the garden. God said, you can eat from any tree. Here's one rule. You got one rule you got to follow. Just one. Just one. That tree right there, don't eat from it. You have anything else in the garden, but don't touch that one. And they did. They broke that rule, got themselves in trouble. And in Genesis chapter 3, got themselves in so much trouble, they were cursed, they were sent out of the garden, and that curse rests on humanity today. We call that original sin, that that sin is inherited, that it's a shame that has continued on through generation and generation. It's in our very DNA. It's who we are. That sin continues through us today. So, Paul is talking about that sin. Sin entered the world through one man. And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. And he goes on to say, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, speaking of the Mosaic law. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So we're going to stop again there. So sin existed between Adam and Moses. Moses gave the law. You remember that whole thing? Studied that in Sunday school. Moses climbing mountain, fire in the mountain. God comes by, gives him tablets, comes down, accidentally drops the tablets. Crap, got to go back up the hill again and get another copy. Goes back up, gets the tablets, comes back down, says, these are the rules you all got to follow. Anybody remember that? Okay. Am I going too quick through the Bible there for you? Okay, that's Roger translation right there. But God gave the people the law. We know that in, in our Bible as the book of Leviticus and the book of, uh, of uh, Deuteronomy. So those, those books tell you all the laws and rules that the Jewish people, God's people, had to follow. And they had to follow all those rules all the way through the time of Jesus. And if you got them all perfect, you were doing just fine. If you didn't get them perfect, you were in a lot of trouble. And you had to go through all this other stuff like sacrificing things to make it right with God. Now we talk about in here what the purpose of the law is a little bit later here and to understand what what that law was for and what it did. But ultimately, death came into the world through sin and all people sinned. And it was that sin was going on all the way through then. And guess what? It still goes on today. You don't have to raise your hand if you're the one responsible for it. So continuing here, it says, but the gift is not like the trespass. Wait a minute. We were just talking about sin. Now he's talking about a gift. So the gift is not like the trespass, the sin. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So now do we know what the gift is? It's the gift of Jesus Christ, his death on a cross, his resurrection, his ascendance into heaven, his conquering of death and sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Continuing in 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed by many trespasses brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man in Jesus Christ? I told you this was kind of hard. You just got to follow here. He's comparing the sin of Adam with the gift of Christ Jesus. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I told you this was kind of a lengthy sentence that Paul does here and uh, there's a lot going on here. So let's take some of this apart. The key point is he's contrasting. He's contrasting the action of Adam, which brought sin into the world, with the action of Christ that brought grace into the world. He's comparing those two and showing how this one affects us and how this one affects us. Sin was in the world from the time of Adam. Adam. In verse 16, it tells us judgment and death followed Adam's sin, followed his action. But justification followed the gift of Christ Jesus, Jesus's actions. Justification, if you remember, Pastor Bernie taught about this a couple weeks ago. It's a legal term. It's a legal term where somebody pays your bill. Somebody takes care of it for you. You are considered scot-free even though you're the one who committed the crime. You are justified before the judge. The judge says, hey, there's nothing there. Everything's taken care of for you. That is the gift of Christ Jesus. And the answer to sin, which is not found in mankind, it's found in God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. It says that in verse 17. God's abundant provision. God overly provided for us. You see, we could still live under the Jewish system where we had to sacrifice every time we messed up. You know, I said a bad word, now I got to go kill a pigeon and put it on the altar. Or I did something real bad, and maybe I got to go kill a goat or a lamb or a cow. That's a lot of killing going on to make up for all the sins that we all do all the time. Speaking as a pastor, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. The carpet would probably get really messy in here. The understanding is that sin came into the world because of what Adam did. And one of the common refrains I hear when I share the gospel with people is Well, that's not right. It's Adam's fault he did that. Why am I blamed? Why is this my problem that he screwed up? That's not fair. sounds like a good argument, right? I mean, seriously. I didn't do it. I mean, my little brother and I, when we were kids, when something was broken, it was very always important to establish it wasn't me. To be fair, he was also saying it wasn't him. So somebody did it. But to establish whose blame goes on, we're establishing that Adam's the one who did this. It's his fault. Why, am I gotta, why do I have to pay for this? So those are good questions. So I've got two responses that I give for that. The first one is take an honest look at your own life. In fact, think about every human being that you know. Are you without sin? Is there anyone that you can think of that's just, ain't got no sin. Everything's fine. I mean, Honestly. Could you have gone your whole life without sin? Could you have lived perfectly? In fact, will you join me in an experiment now? We're going to make this easy. Just, just close your eyes if you would. I want you to take the next 30 second, seconds, and we're going to try to live without sin, okay? That's why we're closing our eyes. That'll make it a little bit easier. All right, 30 seconds. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a set of timer here on my phone. 30 seconds, and there's going to be no sin in this room whatsoever, okay? Okay? So go now. While you're doing this, try don't think about any sin you've ever done. No lies, no deceit, no lust, no greed, no way you've ever hurt anybody, no things you've ever spoken that were bad, no bad deeds you've ever done, or anything you might think about doing. Well, see, we didn't even make it thirty seconds, did we? Sins in our lives, right? It's in our hearts, right? I don't think that if I were in the garden and God said, don't touch that tree, I don't think I would have made it a lifetime without doing it. Now, to be fair, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of a persnickety person, and I'm the guy, if somebody says don't touch it, I probably will. So it's probably a good thing I wasn't Adam, or maybe it was just as well. It happened anyway. The other response I have to that question about it not being fair Is to ask the question back, if it's not fair that we inherited sin, how is it fair that Jesus had to die for our sin? Pharaoh would have said, he didn't do it. In fact, he didn't sin at all. Bible tells us he was a man without sin. And yet he died for our sins. All of our sins. And here's the point that Pastor Bernie made uh, last week is, he died for the sins that we were going to do before we were even born. Was anybody here born before uh, the year 30-something? Just checking. Okay. So that's far enough back that the whole history comment wouldn't offend you there. Nobody was born back then. So when Jesus died for our sins, they were, he died for the sins that we're going to do before we were born. That one thought is one of the hinge moments in my history of coming to Christ, of realizing, wait a minute, Jesus died for my sins and I'm still doing them. In fact, I'll do some this week and next week and next month and next year and for the rest of my life. When Al comes back, he's turning 80. We'll have to ask him if by 80, he's found a way not to sin at all. Do You think he has? Oh, okay. I'm going to tell him you said that. (laughs) See, Jesus took all of our sins that we ever did and are ever going to do on himself, and that's not fair either. And yet he did that in love for us. He took all of those rules of the law that are in the Bible, and he said all of that, we don't have to worry about it that way anymore. We fulfill the law by loving God and loving people. We fulfill the law by believing in Christ and accepting the justification, the free gift that comes from him. Now it finishes up talking about the law here. And it says in verse 20 and 21, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The law acted as a record, a guide, something to line up to, to show us, to teach us. We can't do this alone. We can't do this by ourselves. You can't take uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and follow it in in your lives and get it exactly right. It just can't be done. And that's what it does is it shows us how desperately we need a Savior. And we find that Savior in verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We recognize our sin, so we recognize our need for a Savior. There's a movie quote from one of my favorite movies of all time. The quote is The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. It's a good quote. But as a pastor, I've found we don't need the devil to help us sin. In fact, I think he unfairly takes a lot of blame for stuff that we do ourselves. You see, I think the greatest trick we ever pulled was convincing ourselves that we're basically good. You see, there's a worldview out there that people are basically good. It's a view that's infected the church too. I'm sure some of us in this room kind of believe it a little bit in our hearts. People are basically good. They just screw up once in a while. But the truth is, we are all broken and sinful at our very core. That's that original sin that's in our DNA. And it makes it difficult when sharing the gospel because the view in the world is like, well, people are basically good. My my wife and I were having a discussion the other night about a couple of acquaintances of ours they're, they are very wealthy very well off and the recognition is that in some ways we don't even speak the same language as them because they don't think that they're doing wrong things they don't think that there's anything about them that's in need of something more They're fine and comfortable in the world they are because they believe they're basically good and they deserve everything that they've gotten in life. Now, this is not to trash on people who have money or people who don't have money. It's just the recognition that it's hard sometimes to even have a conversation because our languages are not even the same. Again, as a pastor, I have found that this worldview is throughout the world. Most of your friends and neighbors who don't know Christ do believe that the world's basically a good place, and people are basically good. We just need a little tweak once in a while. But as a pastor, I've found that this worldview falls apart eventually. It falls apart when bankruptcy hits that wealthy family. It falls apart when the guy who's a self-made man gets the diagnosis of cancer and realizes there's not a darn thing he can do about it himself. It falls apart when your child falls in the pool and almost dies. It falls apart when death enters your life. When someone you care about is dying or yourself, is, you're facing death. That worldview that things are basically good with a little tweak eventually falls apart for everybody. And that's where we need to be there to deal with these things. Because what happens when we're having this conversation, uh, I've shared before, is you get the common objection that, well... You know, I can see why Hitler would go to hell, but what about my grandma? She was basically a good lady. She always said nice things about people and gave food to people and always was helpful. But see, the truth for the person who's saying that is they don't understand the concept of original sin. And I will also point out that they probably don't know what's actually in grandma's heart. Any grandmas in the room? Any of you want to say that you've never sinned? You see, you recognize your grandma may seem like a sweet lady, but she's got that brokenness too. And I guarantee you at some point in time in her life, she's hurt people. I guarantee you in some time in her life, she's lied or cheated or stolen or any of the myriad of other things that are considered sin. It's important to know that every one of us, even that sweet old grandma, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah, says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's Jeremiah seventeen nine. If you want a good memory verse, that's one to hang on to to recognize our hearts have this in us. There's just this thin veneer of civilization that we keep on to be social and to get along in life, but that doesn't, that doesn't take care of everything in our lives. If it did, then we wouldn't have had things like the Holocaust. We wouldn't have war. We wouldn't have Rwanda or Yugoslavia or any of the other uh, genocides that have happened. Even here in the United States, our record with the Native Americans is not so great. Genocide occurred there, and we have to be honest about that. I stand here as the grandson of someone who was in the KKK. We don't have such a great record with them either. We have to be honest about the fact that this is in all of us, in all of our situations. None of us are special. We all inherit this sin and it infects our very hearts. And we don't turn easily from it ourselves. The hard thing to do is to be honest with yourself, to be able to look, I'm not even going to say you, I'm going to say in my own heart. To know that in my heart is a murderer and a rapist and a thief and a plunderer and a liar all of that is in here waiting for just the right set of circumstances to let it go free and when I can realize that that that's there that's when I realize just how much I need my savior and here's the thing that makes it difficult can we be honest it's always easier to see other people's evil than our own It's always easier to look at that guy and see what they're doing wrong than to look in your own heart. We're going to return to the scripture here because I think that verses 18 and 19 are our hinge. They are our key to understanding all of this. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, we were the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. All the people who live in Adam, all the people who live in the world, are under the law of sin. But all of those people who are in Christ, who accept this free gift, they get to understand that they are made righteous. They are justified through Christ. They are no longer sinners but justified. Sin and death exists in all of us from the beginning, but justification and life is available for all who are in Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. And if we can get our friends, our relatives, our family members, the people around us to understand that this is what sin is and that it's in all of us, they too will understand how much they need an answer. And that answer is found in Christ Jesus. To get the gospel, we need to understand first the sin that's in all of us. And then we can receive the gift of Christ for those who come to him. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, we need you. We recognize the sin in our lives. We confess the sin in our lives. And we recognize even that we don't even know all that we've done that's evil. All the ways that we've hurt others. All the ways that we've sinned against you. Father, I pray that you would lead us all into the recognition of how much we need your son, Jesus Christ. That you would help us to take this gospel out to the world, to share it with the people around us, to bring more to you that might know eternal life through your son, Christ Jesus. Amen.